no idea when Dev starts on this. Oh, me neither. Is it now? It can't be now. There's no way. Wait, it's coming up. Okay, hold on. Okay. Places. Places. The history of film. That better who even when the lights go dim. From James Cagney to Nosferatu and stunts that shock you. And dirty, dirty tricks to your made. From wings to Top Gun, movie stars and no ones, romantic crazy fans that leave no real fun. Hollywood is still from history in Hollywood. They chase the Oscar, but it's all a sham, just like Shaq and Kazam. All your dreams can come true. History, the history of film, all of it made for you. Good God, that was terrible. Welcome back to Film History. After the two-week hiatus that we've been on, uh, this is the first time since we started the show that we have taken a week off, let alone two weeks, and so I think it bears some explanation. Um, This wasn't necessarily a planned hiatus, but it did work out pretty well as far as timing goes. Uh, July 8th was our one-year anniversary, and we had originally planned on putting out the anniversary episode that week or the week after, but... Just with the way things kind of shook down, we took that time as a congratulatory vacation from film history. Uh, it just, the timing was necessary. Film history is still very much a startup operation, and the three of us uh, do not make much money off of this endeavor at the time of recording, so we obviously have to make money in other ways. Um I recently got a full-time job after doing freelance uh, to subsidize most of my income for the last you know, year or so, and so this transition into full-time employment has required me to uh, shift how I tackle editing the podcast, how we record as a team, and things like that. Uh, Dev has also started a new business venture that has taken some of his time away, and James has been at his full-time job for a little while now, so he has settled in uh, pretty well, but he had some trips that he had to go on for some family reasons. So all of us kind of were in this situation where our normal schedule was greatly disrupted. As we begin to settle back into a normal schedule, you shouldn't expect any more delays from us as far as our release schedule. We plan on coming back and putting out a new episode every Wednesday, just as we had been doing before. And I realized that the last couple weeks, I had also slipped on getting the episode right up on Wednesday, and we're trying to rectify that. We've taken these last two weeks to not only uh, give ourselves just a little bit of a breather, but also start to develop processes in which we can begin to get ahead, and we can build delays into the schedules that when they happen in the future, we don't have to take a hiatus. So with that being said, there's also going to be some changes coming to the Patreon, and those changes will be elaborated on in the future, and our current patrons will be the first to know about those changes. But with all that said, we do apologize for the unannounced uh, departure, and in the future, if we do need to take another hiatus, we'll try to communicate that in advance instead of it just kind of happening. So without further ado, I will finally get back and deliver to you part two of Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, which will close out season one of Film History, the History of Film, and we will start season two with our anniversary episode next week. Uh, what is functionally different about season two to season one? Uh, virtually nothing, but we decided to call it season two, so that's what we're doing here. Uh, year two of Film History officially starts next week, but for now... We will finish it off with the conclusion of Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. I'm going to tell you about how this thing came to be. So this began as a story called The Gentleman from Montana. And this was an unpublished manuscript, kind of like uh, we just talked about this recently. Uh, Jurassic Park was also mm. like an unpublished manuscript that got the picked Montanian up for a movie. Gent. The Montanian Gent. <laughs> that was it. This was... It was written by uh, Lewis R. Foster. Now, this guy at the time, he was a huge writer. He was publishing novels. He was writing screenplays. He was even directing some stuff in the 1930s. Uh, he would eventually go on to write and direct for Walt Disney, actually. He became like part of the Walt Disney crew. In his day, he wrote stuff like The Great Pie Mystery in 1931, uh, Air Eagles, and Cheating Blondes was a big one, 1933. 
Uh, so this guy was already, you know, well into the game by this point. And he had this story written, and he kind of floated her around town, and Columbia Pictures was actually interested. So they purchased it from him. Uh, no word on how much that they purchased it from him, unfortunately, but they purchased it from him to make, like, a, an A movie, like a $1.9 million A movie, you know. <laughs> now, what was interesting is while he's floating this thing around town, uh, the MPAA or PCA collection at the AMPA's library indicates that in January 1938, both Paramount and MGM submitted copies of this story, of Lewis R. Foster's story, to the PCA for approval. And responding to a Paramount official, PCA director Joseph Breen said, We would urge most earnestly that you take serious counsel before embarking on the production of any motion picture based on this story. It looks to us like one that might well be loaded with dynamite, both for the motion picture industry and for the country at large. Breen especially objected to the generally unflattering portrayal of our system of government, which might well lead to such a picture being considered, both here and more particularly abroad, as a covert covert attack on the democratic form of government. Breen warned Columbia that the picture needed to emphasize that the Senate is made up of a group of fine, upstanding citizens <laughs> who labor long and tirelessly for the best interest of the there's, nation. It's communist propaganda, brother. There's the, com- <laughs> there's the comedy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is very interesting. One of the guys that they were really concerned about pissing off at the time was the uh, Daddy Kennedy, Joseph Kennedy. Um, and now the Kennedys, you will learn it, one, it, the reason why they didn't want to piss him off is because that whole family started with him being a huge film financier. That's like what he began. You got to launder those booze profits somehow. And what better way than a exactly. fucking movie? Exactly. <laughs> yes. Uh. He went from he went from booze smuggler to taking that money to funding movies, uh, and then. Re- just parlayed that all the way into a, a political dynasty, basically. <laughs> what? What did he? What, what did he? What was he like? What was he in the government at the time? Let me see. We don't want to be lobotomized like his daughter Rose. Right. We better, we better play. <laughs> we better play nice. Damn our fucking country. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I wanted to do this episode for July Fourth. <laughs> see what I mean? Um, let's see. He was... <laughs> Rose is fucking too much. We need to geek that brain out. <laughs> <laughs> Shit, where do I... So, okay, from 1934 to 1935, he led the security... The SEC. He led the SEC from 34 <laughs> to 35, which is real great. Uh, we gave a booze smuggler the SEC. Uh, he later directed Maritime Commission. He served as the United States Ambassador to the United Kingdom from 1938 until 1940. So that actually would have been him now okay. as the ambassador to the UK. Okay. Uh, and that was one of their main concerns is that we're going to look bad to other countries. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. 1939, and we really don't want that mm-hmm. right now. Yeah, yeah. Um, and him in particular, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. He was a extremely powerful figure in Hollywood and in politics, mm-hmm. and so he is a man that you don't want to fuck with. He was, he and was, the industry also, this is no uh, nothing to be glossed over. He was also the first chairman of the SEC. Right? Yeah, yeah. The first chairman of the SEC. <laughs> Good lord! So the, the SEC was brought upon. By the great Kennedys. start. Yeah. <laughs> great start. Uh, it's communist propaganda, brother. The Reds are trying to discredit the American government. Dude, that's how, deep, fine. that's how deep this shit went. I really do imagine that Frank Capra was like, I might get killed for this mm-hmm. one. You know, yeah. like, very well could be like, or, you know, fucking tried but, but for we, treason. Didn't we talk about it, It's a Wonderful Life was like listed as like Red Scare propaganda yeah, too? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 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 that yeah. was Frank Capra, baby. <laughs> yeah. Capra was doing it. The government did not love Frank Capra. No, no, they did not. Not and uh, no, but it was. We'll do a whole episode about him one it day. It was banned in Germany because the Germans were like, for the same reason, the Germans were like, no, this is a promotion of American politics. Yeah, yeah, that's what's interesting. The fascist countries thought that this would show their people that democracy does because work. that's this How? is because they were like. 
this is what this is the ideal situation to have everyone think it works one way and then us just right. do the other way around so like you know right. it's it's so interesting to see that polar opposite like you said we're like we consider it bad as like a reflection about how bad things are but no all the fascists like Mussolini and Hitler were like god damn i wish it could be like that <laughs> man imagine if they really believed everything we said but we were just doing the total opposite <laughs> yeah build your boy scout place fuck it you know go ahead uh <laughs> hitler's like hmm a boy camp a boy camp huh <laughs> but um, i'm not that evil <laughs> yeah i don't make camps for people to be in <laughs> Hey, yeah. yo, at least I'm not fucking kids. <laughs> Hitler's boy camps were, you just didn't I have just a choice. I just kill them. I just yeah. make them work to death and kill them. <laughs> Hitler's boy camp, they did not teach you uh, very many skills, you know. Um, they didn't teach you how to tie knots. Or, or wow, maybe they did. Good Lord. Maybe just cut this whole, cut the whole episode. <laughs> yeah. We just won't do a July 4th I'll one. cancel the podcast. Film <laughs> history is here, bye. We're going to delete our anchor account. <laughs> It's going to get deleted for us anyway after this episode. Uh. Hey, hey, but here, here's a lighthearted silver lining. Uh, as fucked up as America is, as many problems as we have, had America not existed, we'd all be wearing a swastika right now. You damn right. Mm, damn there we right. Go. Yeah. There we go. There, there we you go. go. Damn I right. like that. Damn, damn right. right. Hell yeah. Hell yeah, bro. <laughs> brother. <laughs> so, uh, Columbia Pictures did pick it up, though. They, they, There must have been some people with some progressive minds over there because they were like, no, nah, we're going to fucking do this, uh, despite what Kennedy says. <laughs> and they picked this thing up. They saw it uh, originally as a vehicle for Ralph Bellamy. Which is kind of interesting. Ralph Bellamy was a big comedian. He was a big. This would be like Jim Carrey, you know, basically. Um, and if that name does sound familiar to you, it's because that is the guy who the CAG would like sneak onto studio sets sometime to watch early in his career. Oh, he was a big Ralph Bellamy cool. fan. Okay. Yeah, and they they saw this thing for him. Um, kind of makes sense. They were looking for innocence. Yeah, yeah they were okay. looking for, but yeah. not that Ralph Bellamy was, but yeah. they were looking for that sort of yeah. guy who could play this. You yeah, know, interesting. Um, I mean, would would Ralph Bellamy have been older at the time? He would have been a little bit older, and I don't think he would have fit this role. Either. Yeah, well, I so I, I, uh, that's interesting because like, um, like Adam Sandler is like doing Adam Sandler's doing dramas now. Did you, yeah, did you, like, and I was like, I, I was like, okay, because I, I, I don't really like Adam Sandler movies to begin with. I'm just how I'm dare not you? The biggest fan. Of, <laughs> I was not the biggest fan of his brand of his comedy. So like, I was, I was over at a friend's place, and they're like, yeah, let's let's put on this Adam Sandler movie. I was like, oh god. Yeah. She was like, no, 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 no. It's 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 a drama. I was like. Okay, let, let me see the shit. He's great, Which actually. Which the, one? The one where he teaches a kid to play basketball. Oh, yeah, that one, that one yeah. looks amazing. I was yeah, like, holy shit. One. Have you it, seen Uncut Gems? Yeah, yeah, but I mean, it was like, that was, that's like a very interesting like character piece. Like, he's yeah. kind of like a maniac, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, Right. This like this one I think is a more difficult role. Yeah. And I was like, holy shit, he's actually like he should have done this his whole fucking career. For sure, like, yeah. No, is, he's amazing. Where was dude. he hiding this? He's amazing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He did some stinkers that were dramas, but he's amazing. No yeah. doubt about it. That's why they gave him the the mm. boat of money. Yeah, oh my god. I, <laughs> Netflix backed up the fucking Brinks truck. An ungodly amount. Yeah, yeah. like $300 million. Yeah, yeah, absurd. That's not worth it. That's why, like, you're making bad business decisions. That's on That's on finance history, the history of finance. Yeah, yeah, for sure. We'll get into that. Yeah, we'll do that one day. Adam Sandler, why not? Oh, sure, yeah, Some, yeah. you know, like, off, off yeah, episode. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, but Ralph Bellamy fell through. Uh, he had scheduling issues, and also nobody wanted to fucking touch this thing. You know, there were a lot of people who were like, "Absolutely not! <laughs> you're you're all gonna get murdered. No, mm -hmm. thank you." Um, and this is when Frank Capra came along. He was interested in it. You know, the fucking maverick over here, old Frank Capra. He was like, "I want to make." the movie about the government. Uh -huh. um, and he came on board as a director. And now, like I said, like this guy's absolutely going to get his own episode. Frank Capra is a, a absolute legend by this point in his career in 1938, when this thing is going around, this man is about 32 years old, 31, 32. He has won three Academy awards already uh, for best director. He is the highest paid director in Hollywood at the time. Like, one of the biggest directors in history. Um, this, like I said, 
I would compare him to Steven Spielberg okay. with his clout. Not his style, yeah. but definitely like how big he was. He was the fucking maestro, like okay. they call Steven Spielberg. Mm-hmm. You know, that was the guy. Like to the point where people were making movies around the time that they called Capra esque. They were all trying okay. to do Capra. Okay. You know. And that's who came along to do this thing. And uh, everybody was trying to do Capra. Not only not only his work, but they were trying to do Capra. You know, everybody wanted to fuck that guy because he was a hot, young, huge director. You know, imagine he got a lot of uh, a lot of a lot of sex. <laughs> <laughs> he did a lot of fucking. <clears throat> and, uh, he also served as president of both the Academy and uh, the United he, States. Yeah, yeah, the Academy of the United States. He was the president of that, uh, and he was also he was the president of the Screen Directors Guild at the time as well. Mm. Uh, time Magazine put him on its cover around this time. He was the cover of Time, and he was the face of the Philip Morris Company. And they used him to sell cigarettes. Cool. <laughs> he said, he had a commercial and he said, I smoke quite a lot when directing a movie. <laughs> I like to smoke Philip Morris because of their throat ease. So noticeable when one's voice is important. <laughs> <laughs> so That's hysterical. Yeah, so they bring up they bring about the heavy hitter, <laughs> Mr. Fucking Mr. Capra himself to come and do this thing. Um Ruben <laughs> throat ease, <laughs> throat ease of Philip. Mo- I want to smoke a Philip Morris cigarette. I want to find one from like 1939 and see how much throat and, ease. Yeah, there see is. how much throat ease was involved because I imagine it wasn't a lot. You know? <laughs> and I also, I imagine he's just. But him saying that about smoking during directing really hits home with me, man. There's something when you're on a set. Dude, cigarettes are just like I could smoke a cigarette, like chain smoke a pack of cigarettes on set. There's no doubt about it. I don't know what it is about production that makes you want to smoke. But is it, it the stress? It's the stress, and it's just like you're just kind of I don't know, man. It's just something to do. You know? something, something to do with your do. hands. Yeah, Dev. Maybe. What do you think? Do you smoke during production? Uh, I smoke whenever the stress of the world deems it, which is constantly. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, can't relate. The, the, the one vice I never picked up. Um, but oh, I smoke right. black and milds, which is like cigarettes on steroids. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which yeah. I really need to stop. Yeah. I think I'm gonna die tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> isn't it isn't it wild that the government banned jewels <laughs> oh my god yeah and they came for fucking jewels and flavored cigarettes <laughs> oh wait are menthols gone too they're doing away with menthols they're doing really? away with all flavored cigarettes holy shit yeah. well they are worse for you to be fair but that's... also they put it in this way where it's like well they're they're marketing to children but here's the thing, man. When we were kids and we mm. wanted a cigarette, we would go to the sidewalk and find cigarette butts. It didn't really matter <laughs> if they were fucking menthol. We don't like. We didn't have a. Uh, we weren't very picky as kids. Well, okay? also, but like puff bars are still around. Like only the refillable ones. So the single uses are still fine. It's like this is such a fucking weird arbitrary distinction. Like I don't. I don't even smoke, and I think this is the dumbest fucking thing back you could spend your time on. Way back in the day, back in the ancient times, uh, I held down a job for, it was fucking, uh, not DoorDash, they weren't even around yet, but one of those early ones, like Grubhub or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of my like third and last deliveries that I ever made was <laughs> I went and picked up a jewel for someone, you know, mm-hmm. I thought... And I went all the way to this apartment, and this fucking like twelve year old came out. He's like, "Thanks, bro." And I was like, "Oh, I just delivered tobacco to a child." Okay, <laughs> they had found their way around. You yeah, know, they they found out how to buy that shit. Yeah, that was. I guess that was before like ID checks and stuff. Yeah, I mean, because yeah. now if you're delivering anything that's like age restricted, that you have to scan their ID. Yeah, not back yeah. in these days. Well, yeah. So I I contributed to the tobacco. A habit of a delinquent. Um, <laughs> back to the CAG. So, Capra signs on to do this movie. Um, <laughs> when I cut out everything that's not related, this episode's going to be 10 minutes. I don't know, man. Yeah, I mean, just keep it in. This is 4th of July. Happy 4th, everyone. America. So, yeah, Capra signs on, uh, and he had, you know, Capra kind of had his writer at the time. This guy, his name was... R- Ruben, I think it is. Ruben or Robin. Ruben Mamoulian. Uh, and he had expressed interest in writing this. He had, like I said, he had done some writing for Capper already. Um, he said, "I can make this thing a script, absolutely." 
And so at the time, though, they had just been coming off of a huge hit, Mr. Deeds. <laughs> it was funny you brought up Adam Sandler because <laughs> that Adam Sandler, Mr. Deeds, was a remake of a 1930s movie, Mr. Deeds Goes to Town, by oh. Frank Capra and Ruben Mamouli or whatever. Oh, yeah, and so it was a huge hit. It was this big comedic, you know, and, and that was uh, Gary Cooper was the actor who played Mr. <laughs> Deeds originally. <laughs> What's up, Can Dad? you imagine... The next remake from Happy Madison is Billy Madison Goes yeah. to Washington. <laughs> that is basically what they were trying to do here. They were going to do Mr. Deeds Goes to Washington with Gary Cooper reprising his role as Longfellow Deeds. Uh, and it was going to be this like goofy comedy about like goofy Mr. Deeds going to Washington. you know. And so it was going to be a much different film at the time. Uh, they toyed around with that. Gary Cooper said, absolutely not. I don't want to do this. Uh, I'm not available. Don't call my phone anymore. <laughs> and <laughs> and so, Frank I, Capra. I, I love I love Mr. Kennedy. Yeah, yeah Mr. Kennedy is my favorite. I love him. Uh, don't call me anymore. Uh, <laughs> there's just like a sniper scope in the distance of his mansion in Beverly Hills. Uh, but this was also good for Frank Capra because Frank Capra, honestly... He was going to do the Mr. Deeds thing because it was going to be successful, but what he really wanted was what wound up becoming. Uh, he wanted this to be Jimmy Stewart and Gene Arthur. That was like his mm -hmm. his go to cast for this thing. Um, he you know he really loved Jimmy Stewart. Jimmy Stewart really loved Capra, so he borrowed Jimmy Stewart from MGM. Jimmy Stewart at the time was under contract there, so he bought him out to do this movie. And he said, "I knew he would make a hell of a Mr. Smith." He looked like a he looked like the country kid, the idealist. It was very close to him, which is very true. Like it, I there was no better casting than Jimmy Stewart for this thing to play the oh, Jay Stews. Yeah, and that was the same thing mm -hmm. with um with uh It's a Wonderful Life. Mm -hmm. It was like a very honest oh shucks type of guy. Yeah, who gets yeah, into yeah. very bad situation. Right, you know, and. Uh, so, so Jimmy knew this role was a, the role of a lifetime as well. One that could place him near the top of Hollywood. This would be like his big, you know, thing. Uh, Gene Arthur later remembered at the time, she said, he was so serious when he was working on that picture. He used to get up at 5 o'clock in the morning and drive himself to the studio. And he was so terrified something was going to happen to him on the way, he would like go really slow to the studio. <laughs> and... That may sound like she's like giving him kudos, but it was more of like he was fucking annoying. Yeah, he was uh, so paranoid. Yeah, <laughs> she wanted to do the Mr. Deeds sequel. That was what she signed on for yeah. with Gary Cooper, who was like a cool guy who fucked. And instead they wound up with Mr. Smith Goes to Washington with Jimmy Stewart, who is like this military guy who drives really slow early in the morning, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the role, you know. Yeah. That was the role. I mean, you could have cast it better. Mm -hmm. And uh, man, Jimmy Stewart! I can't wait for his episode. Dude's just a legend. He was a he was a general. Yeah. And then he and and the biggest movie star in the world at the same time. Old Jay Stews. Old Jay Stew, man. Old Jay Stew. <laughs> <laughs> you still around? No. Nah. <laughs> no. When when he when he passed? I don't. I, it it was like in the modern probably day. the eighties or yeah. 90s. I think it was like the nineties. He got really old. He got super duper yeah. old. He worked when he was really old. He too. seems like a guy who would live a long time. Yeah, you know what I mean, like he was not a drinker, yeah. not a smoker. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he was a fucking. He seems like he'd be around forever. He d he definitely strikes me as one of those actors that would just act until he literally couldn't walk For anymore. Sure. Yeah, like um, six like... foot four. That guy. Holy shit. Yeah, real tall dude. Damn. That was like part of his whole thing. Whoa. He was just real tall. <laughs> Loved people, you know. <laughs> what? Very like Mr. Rogers. -y. Oh, yeah. Um, um, they also cast Beulah Bondi to play Jimmy's mom, and this is one of five films where she played his mother, actually. Uh, the others are It's a Wonderful Life, Of Human Hearts, Vivacious Lady, and Once on His Television Series, The Jimmy Stewart Show. So she was like his on-screen mom for a lot of his career, actually. Other big stars that were cast in this were Claude Rains, who you might recognize from Casablanca with Bogey. He was up in there. And uh, one of the legends that they got to work for Frank Capra on this one, uh, Harry Carey plays the president of the Senate. And just to give you an idea of his acting career, it went back to his first role in Two Daughters of Eve in 1912. 
And <laughs> another one he did in 1912 was a movie called The Musketeers of Pig Alley, directed by the king of the clan himself, D.W. Griffith. Uh, and it was credited as the first gangster film ever Whoa. that this dude was in. Harry Carey was like a film... He was film history, you know. <laughs> the dude was in motion pictures when they were barely fucking moving, you know. Like, the guy was, like, being projected on, like, a Zoopraxiscope or some shit back in the day. The old stuff you see at the <laughs> Academy Museum. A Zoopraxiscope? <laughs> what the fuck is a Zoopraxiscope? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> when Harry Carey's career started, you had to watch him through, like, a, a lens. A Zoopraxiscope a... sounds like something from a Dr. Seuss book. <laughs> 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 exactly. Yeah. Was, the dude was literally like in some of the earliest forms of film. And uh, he plays the president of the Senate. I, I liked his performance. I didn't really like the direction for him. They had him smile at some really uh, inopportune times, in my opinion. But <laughs> that's just nitpicky, you know. So with all that attached, Columbia Pictures, they went ahead and dropped that $1.9 million for the budget to make this thing. And when you put that through the old inflation calculator, that's about $37 million. So okay. this was a show enough movie. This yeah. was a movie, you know. Yeah, yeah. And like I said, I don't, Columbia really didn't give a fuck. They yeah. were like, we're going to make this, like yeah. for real. You know? Was Columbia Sony at the time? Ooh. Uh, Sony acquired. Yeah, Sony definitely Columbia. acquired them. And Sony um, didn't flourish until later in the technology boom. Right. They were founded in June 19, 1918. Capra, like, made Columbia Pictures, basically. Uh, shit. I don't know. I can't find it. Uh, it prob- Probably not, but, like, if they had owned them at the time. No, there's no way, because we hadn't done the whole War of Japan yet. Right, um, right. Yeah, Sony probably bought Columbia after the 80s. Yeah, Because yeah, like, you got to think, sense. like, Sony really blew up with, like, Walkman yeah. and all the radio and cd tech and then they had the money because sony's a i don't even think sony existed yeah. aren't they they're are they a japanese company they might be korean yeah, no, they're japanese they're japanese all company. of those fucking that's what yeah. i thought so like after world War all II. of those places were in some some turmoil yeah, right. in 1939 yeah, yeah. Okay, i was about to say maybe it's because they're a japanese company they really didn't give a fuck of what they were saying about american politics yeah but like uh it's not clearly not the case right so. yeah for yeah. sure for sure i'll look more into that uh but yeah, these were the biggest stars of the time. We had Capra Stewart, Gene Arthur. This was a star-studded film. Gene Arthur, at the time, she was such a fucking star. Literally, in her contract, uh, it was stipulated that they built the sets around her good side. So <laughs> she always had... And if you watch the film, you can see it. Her left side of her face was her good side, and that is the only side of the face that you see for the whole thing. She walks into whole scenes, does entire monologues, never see the right side of her face. She could have been like a monster over there. Who even knows? You know? <laughs> and, it's very funny. Yeah, they had to build everything around that. So they get to going on this thing. This thing gets to rolling. Frank Capra and his crew went to Washington to film background material and uh, B-roll. And also, they went there to study the Senate chamber, which they replicated full-scale and precise detail on the Columbia lot. And uh, James D. Preston, who was Capra's technical advisor for the Senate set and political protocol, was a former superintendent of the Senate Press Gallery. So he was kind of helping them reconstruct this whole thing. And this was a huge undertaking. They recreated the entire Senate chamber on the lot of Columbia. It was like the biggest running set on the Columbia lot at the time. Whoa. Yeah. And it was like painstakingly recreated here. Whoa. Um, Yeah. And he, is he still there? I don't. I don't know. Maybe that'd be pretty cool. Probably not. Yeah. I don't imagine it was. Because I mean, it sounds like something you would reuse a lot. Yeah, for sure. You know, anytime yeah. you want to do a, a political drama. Well, and it was it was a pain in the ass. That's oh, one thing. Okay. He said it was a daunting logistical problem in filming the Senate scenes. The Senate chamber had been faithfully recreated uh, by art director Lionel Banks and a huge team of craftsmen. And the set was like a chamber. It was a yeah. tall, four-sided set filled with hundreds of people. Yeah. Action required for the story would be taken simultaneously on three levels. You had the floor, the rostrum where the okay. vice president sat, and the galleries holding the press, the pages, and the I public. I can see how that would be a pain in the ass. It was a nightmare. Yeah. You know, and especially for the cameras that they had back in those days, it was not fun. Yeah. You know? um, that was like... 
Capper put it in his autobiography. He actually talked about it. He said, how to light, photograph, and record hundreds of scenes on three levels of a deep well, open only at the top, where the logistic nightmares that faced electricians, cameramen, and sound men. And because that's one thing Capra got coverage like a motherfucker. Mm. Like he covered every angle of every scene possible. He shot the shit out of all of his movies. Was it, so is that like he was running multiple cameras at one time, or it was like we're gonna do this same three lines for the entire day? All of the above. Oh my god. Yeah. Oh yeah. my fucking god. Yeah. <laughs> and you got to rig it like all you know within this fucking the Senate chambers, basically. Oh. Yeah, dude, I know. it's a nightmare. It's a fucking headache. He wrote a whole thing about it in his autobiography. Um, <laughs> like a motherfucker. <laughs> and uh, it to the point where it's funny. There's a story where Jimmy Stewart, he kind of famously, I mean, and this made sense. He was a big movie star, so not a lot of movie stars did this. He didn't really watch the dailies of his movies. He wouldn't go after you shot with the director. Frank Capra had a theater in his house mm-hmm. that he'd go back home and he would watch the dailies. Mm-hmm. And Jimmy Stewart for this one, he's so hyped up about this role. This is his big thing. He's like, I'm going to come watch the dailies with you, you know? Mm-hmm. And he said, by the time he got there, Jimmy Stewart said, this is his quote. The first time I stopped off at Capra's house, I was there an hour and 40 minutes. There was take after take from every angle. He really covered himself. Every scene from every angle. Well, I didn't stay to the end. The next night, it was clearly going to be even longer. After an hour, I turned to Frank, and he was fast asleep. <laughs> so, so Jimmy's like, I'm not going to watch dailies with you anymore. But, I mean, imagine, like, absolutely he's fucking asleep. After having to shoot in that those conditions, you know? That's so funny. <laughs> and he had other problems as well. They had, of course, issues with... Uh, licensing and shit the boy scouts of america said absolutely you cannot use us mm-hmm. uh in this movie you know so that's why they call it the boy club of the boy club <laughs> the boy club <laughs> or it was uh the boy scouts are gonna are like you're gonna fucking blow the lid off our kids <laughs> <thing." laughs> what are you talking exactly. about i was about to say i would talk about the boy scouts more here but i've already talked a lot about boy molestation yeah, you so. realize we started this week fuck boys in the woods right <laughs> <laughs> yeah the boy scouts of america said we cordially object to having any part of mr capper's reform movement <laughs> cordially reject so they called it the boy rangers the boy rangers we ain't, we ain't doing no boy scouts um, and one more kind of thing behind the scenes here. Like I said, I mean, it was kind of a straight up and down movie besides the nightmare of the logistics here. But there's a big scene, the big filibuster scene. That's like what this movie's known for. It's like I said, it's that 12 Angry Men part of, you know, the big scene where they're finally getting to the point. And go ahead, Dan. You see politicians in Washington all the fucking time. Trying to be the Mr. Smith goes to Washington by running a fucking marathon filibuster. Right. Yeah. Yes, yes, absolutely. Reading green eggs and ham. Fucking, yes, yeah. This was yeah. where a lot of that came from. Like, there's uh, his thing was he started reading the Constitution, you uh, know, God. which was like, yeah. But there's this big filibuster scene. That's better than green eggs yeah. and ham. Exactly. At least it makes sense. <laughs> yeah, a little bit more relevant for the Senate floor. At least maybe it'll remind them of something yeah. besides just fucking Dr. So what's the, what's the filibuster? If you talk for 24 hours straight, you can't pass the bill? That's the rule or some Basically, shit? you can have the floor for as long as you want. And so I think if you just stay there long enough, I guess the hope is that they give up on whatever it is. They just relent. They're like, fine, we won't pass the education bill. If you, you know. shut the fuck yeah, up. Yeah, we won't give teachers a salary Well, you rate. can, f- it's also timing. So, like, if you <laughs> filibuster right before, <laughs> like, if there's a, a scheduled vote and you know that, like, the Senate is going to go into recess on in, like, a day. Right. And they have to get this vote in before it goes into recess. And you just filibuster, preventing the vote from happening. And then the Senate goes into recess. You've essentially, like killed the vote another fucked up thing how about like why in 
fucktard nation does the Senate still go into recess? Right. What are we, a 12-year-old right. on a playground? Right, right. Are we like... riding horse and carriages back home to talk to our constituents? <laughs> like, these motherfuckers don't deserve a vacation. Yeah. It is playground time, brother. Playground. We gotta go get on the seesaw. I've seen those dudes show up to the fucking, fucking Senate children. floor in their pajamas. You know. Oh. But yeah, there's this huge scene, and Jimmy Stewart, of course, is just giving it all he's fucking got. And uh, he wanted for his uh, throat to be raspy. He wanted to, like, be out of breath. And, like, his, uh, he's losing his voice. Well, don't smoke those cigarettes. They'll refresh your voice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Don't smoke. Fill up more cigarettes. <laughs> your, your voice will be refreshed. Uh, he did not smoke cigarettes. What he did, though, was periodically swab the back of his throat with mercuric chloride. <laughs> To rasp up his fucking voice. Oh my god, how do you not die of mercury poisoning? I don't know, man. I do not know. But Frank Capra was like, whatever you want, brother, you are gnarly. He, <laughs> yeah. he lived a million years, so I guess, hey, you know, maybe drink some mercury. Yeah. That's why I learned all this. So let him drink mercury. <laughs> let him drink mercury. Let him eat cake. <laughs> Speaking of Marie Antoinette, let him drink mercury. Uh, but that's about it for the production. I'll okay. get into the uh, release of this cool. thing now. Dev, do you have any final thoughts on the production of this movie? Did you did you mention the budget in the box office? Uh, that's what I'm going to mention here in the release, for sure. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah so the film finished shooting. Uh, they were eight days over schedule, about $288,000 over budget, wow. or about $6 million these days. Um, which I think Columbia Pictures happily shelled out for old Capra, you mm -hmm. know. Uh, but the story of the premiere is pretty fucking hilarious. The story of the premiere is one of my favorites. So, you know, DC got, of course, wind of this thing, and they think, like, oh, cool, there's about to be a movie made about us. <laughs> Sick. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be awesome. So the National Press Club in Washington, D.C., which, as you remember, one of their people, uh, you know, the Senate Press Club, was one of their advisors. And so I'm sure he was sending back stuff like, they're making a movie about the Senate and how it all works. Mm -hmm. And the National Press Club said, well, premiere the movie here. We'll sponsor it. You know, we'll, we'll do like, a, we'll support the whole thing. <laughs> we'll, we, will, we will pay for the premiere. This is this great. This is great. Yeah, yeah, this is fantastic. So they premiere this movie. At Constitution Hall in Washington, D.C. That's amazing. 4,000 people are in attendance, and it is all government officials. That We're is. talking congressmen, Supreme Court justices, cabinet members, the whole fucking Senate, like just the litany of D.C. fucking suits have shown up to the Constitution Hall to watch this movie that is going to be so cool, and it's about their job, you know? Amazing. So, 45 of those 4,000 people were U.S. senators themselves. There's only there's only a hundred senators. Right. So half of the Senate was there watching this fucking movie. Shout out to the premier. Which is hilarious. hilarious. This, this is definitely the this comedy. This is like Sasha Baron Cohen shit. Frank Capra yeah. didn't miss, baby. Yeah. And you know he knew. Yeah. Frank Capra knew. Like, they're yeah. not going to like this. And I'm going to show it to him in their fucking house. You know? Like, oh my God, yeah. man. And uh, boy, did they hate it. They were not happy. Frank Capra was actually sat directly next to Montana Senator Burton Wheeler, who, like, kind of was lampooned in this movie a little bit himself. Uh -huh. And even so... You just Bert, got capillated. Burt Wheeler, at some point during the movie, just, like, apparently gave Frank Capra this just, like, long, hard stare and just gets out of his seat and fucking leaves. <laughs> Yeah, a bunch of them kind of like got up and left and like amazing you know, shouted at the screen and shit like throwing you know. popcorn and shit. It's so great, amazing. man. Oh my! You just Lord. got capillated. You got capillated, baby. So one of the one of the quotes that I love is uh, Senate Majority Leader Albin W. Barkley was a Democrat and. He called the film uh, silly and stupid, and it makes the Senate looks like look like a bunch of crooks. Oh my god, which is hilarious. hilarious. <laughs> um, but my my favorite my favorite quote for him is as it, it's a distortion, a grotesque distortion, as grotesque as anything I'd ever seen. Imagine the Vice President of the United States 
winking at a pretty girl in the gallery in order to encourage a filibuster. End quote. I'm like, our president got his dick sucked in the Oval Office a few decades later. What are you talking about? They hated it because it was all so true. true. Yeah, Yeah, it was way too close to fucking home. Who gave the game away this man? Who who leaked this shit? Actually, that's a good question. How do you know it was like like this? Because this is before like... He had a lot of advisors. He had a lot of advisors who had worked in the White House who were... And Frank Kapperman, he was plugged in. Okay. He was like way plugged into this okay. shit. He would, this was like his jam. Okay. You know? That's why they didn't like him. I yeah. mean, you know, he was, again, uh, that was uh, another depressing holiday that I decided to deliver to you guys whenever we did. It's a wonderful life. You oh, know? Yeah, like, yeah, he got yeah, yeah. Merry all fucking up Christmas. Into it. Merry fucking Christmas. Happy fucking Fourth of July. <laughs> Get out. Uh, <laughs> here at Film History, the history of film. Ruining every holiday. <laughs> So, yeah, people are leaving in the droves. Hey, well, at least Halloween yeah. was great with Nosferatu. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Halloween was, yeah, all bangers all yeah, around. All yeah. bangers, Yeah, maybe. no sad vibes. <laughs> I mean, Looks I can't... Only spunky Dude, vibes. Look at... Look at the irony behind that. Halloween, which is supposed to be about vampires, death, and murder, was awesome. And then, like, the 4th of July and yeah, Christmas the real are, like, yeah. depressing and sad. The real and, horrors. Know, whatever. Yeah, dude. Nothing but spocky vibes, dude. Yeah, dude. I can't wait till we cover Valentine's right. Day. Yeah, Jesus. that'll be good. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you is all about that. Is there a good Valentine's one. Day movie? Oh, well, the Valentine's Day massacre happened. You know. Is there a good Valentine's Day movie, though? Uh, oh, well, I mean... Yeah. Well, millions. I mean, all rom coms, yeah, really, rom-coms, you know? Yeah. It was I mean, that one called Valentine's Day. Va- Valentine's Day yeah. movies are fucking yeah. horror. Yeah. Comedy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Happy Fourth of July. If I have to w- sit through another fucking Ryan Reynolds love story, <laughs> I'm going to blow my own guy's head off. I'm definitely going to go see my boy, old Gosling, as Ken. Oh my god, the Barbie movie is about to be the most incredible piece of cinema ever released. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's here's the fucking thing. Here's the fucking thing. Do you know who's directing that movie? Who? It's Greta Gerwig. Oh, shit. You don't get Greta Gerwig Uh. to direct, like, a popcorn, like, flick for, like, like, uh, a kid's movie. You know what I mean? Like, this, this movie has something to say. This is going to be, this is going to be a Trojan horse movie. Like, this movie is going to, like, have a, a, they're going to premiere it just like they did this movie. They're going to premiere it at the bar at the Mattel headquarters. <laughs> yes, yeah. yes, dude. Uh, lock in your Oscar nominations for the Barbie movie mm-hmm. because you don't get Greta Gerwig up for like anything other than like cinema in. masterpiece. I'm yeah. already in. And you know what? It, uh, it premieres the same day as Oppenheimer. Oh, wow. <laughs> kind of the same subject. I honestly, I think... I think if you're the Oppenheimer guys, I think you delay that movie. Yeah. I think you're about to get eaten alive by Barbie. By Barbie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would delay yeah, Oppenheimer by a sure. month. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, they, they premiered this thing at the Constitution Hall. Uh, Capra said, after the premiere, he received the worst shellacking of my professional life. <laughs> <laughs> and in his autobiography, again, uh, which I ordered, she got shellacked. And uh, I ordered the autobiography already. Don't worry. I will be doing the Frank Capra episode very soon. Uh, Frank Capra states in his autobiography that after the film's general release, he and Harry Cohen received a cablegram from U.S. Ambassador to Great Britain, Joseph P. Kennedy, saying that he felt the film would damage America's prestige in Europe and should therefore be withdrawn from European distribution. And in response, they mailed favorable reviews of the film to Kennedy, which persuaded him not to pursue the matter any further, even though he still maintained his doubts. So, because the thing is, is it it opened well. I mean, people did receive this thing very well. Cool. Uh, and I know Dev wanted to get into it a little bit. It fucking made some moolah. Cool. It made money. Yeah. Because uh, It's a Wonderful Life didn't do very well. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. So. This one absolutely did. Uh, but it was also getting slaughtered by the press. The Washington mm-hmm. Press Corps, who is directly again, like, brought out in this movie, uh, they did not like it. They were highly indignant at the way it was portrayed in the film, and so they, all their reviews were not good, you know, of course. But, like, think about, like, that's just so dumb uh, from the leadership and the press perspective because, like, what is the natural instinct if you tell somebody, don't watch this movie? What are they going to do? 
go watch the fucking yeah, movie. Like it's if you brand something as being like salacious yeah. and crazy, like it just makes people want to go see it Absolutely. more. So like bad press in that sense was great press. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of their chief objections as well was that the film made them out to be drinking too much. <laughs> <laughs> Like we're not a bunch of booze hounds, but we know you guys are. Yeah. Come on, come on. That's 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 the thing that you were <laughs> upset about. Yeah, was the, the drinking part. <laughs> well, this is coming fresh off of the end of Prohibition, yeah. so you still had yeah, a lot so. of like temperance movement. You still had a lot of like. Yeah, I mean, fresh, not quite fresh. Maybe like five years or six years. And Prohibition ended in 1933. Yeah. So, like, the culture of it yeah. was still kind yeah. of around, oh, like, yeah. the stigma I, of drinking too I, much I and stuff. I guess it'd be, like, if, if they would portray, like, Congress is, like, uh, doing, smoking a bunch of weed. Yeah, doing it, cocaine and shit. Well, I mean, cocaine's still illegal, but, I mean, like, yeah. weed, like, would be, like, a more... Yeah, that's true. Kind of, that's true. Yeah, the which, Washington Press Corps was like, we all drink too much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't know smoke weed, man. Like, what but, are you hey, talking about? Yeah, dude. But despite the old, uh, the old white guys on the hill not liking it too much... It was a hit. Uh, this $1.9 million budgeted film raked in $9 million through its theater run. And when you put that through the old inflation calculator, that's about $190 million for like a roughly $40 million movie. Jesus. So it, it, it definitely did well. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Shit. Yeah. And this was, like I said, man, 1939. Yeah. People were ready to see it. They were ready to see the truth, baby. Yeah, for, for a... For a- Politics movie? Yeah, especially going into World War II. Yeah, like wow. when we were supposed to be the most patriotic we yeah. could possibly be. Yeah, uh, people were clearly kind of questioning the government at the yeah. time. You know, for a politics movie? Yeah, for a politics movie. Yeah, very and straight up and down politics. This yeah. whole thing takes place. Yeah, there's no there's no terrorist attack on no. the White House. There's no. no helicopter chase. No, this is uh. about passing a bill. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and like that's what this movie is about. You know. Um, and other things, but yeah. I mean, at the end of the day. But Frank Capper received many letters over the years from individuals who actually were inspired by the film to take up politics. Cool. This yeah. is kind of like how Top Gun made you want to join the, yeah, the Air Force. Yeah, be the change you want to see exactly. in the filmmaking. Yeah. yeah, man, exactly. This was the first film to earn two Best Supporting Actor Oscar nominations at the same time. Sick. Claude Rains and Harry Carey were both nominated very deservingly whenever you watch the movie. Uh, both of them did lose to uh, Thomas Mitchell for his role in Stagecoach, ah. but this was the first time that two people were nominated for the same category of acting in the same movie. And it was also it was nominated for 11 Academy Awards, winning only one for Best Original Story. Hey. 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 They got it. But it became the first film to lose 10 awards. <laughs> 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 you take it and you leave it. Hey, you know, still the first, baby. Still the first. <laughs> and uh, that's the end of the writing. Y'all. That's cool. The end of the notes for this movie. Fuck yeah, dude. We can nice. open it up for dis- open up nice. the Senate floor. Well, for was discussion. so Capper was pretty late in his career at this point. Uh, he was not late in his career, but he was. He was like I said, he was at the peak. Okay, like, this was, and then it's a wonderful life. Yeah. Uh, I mean, again, that's... it's kind of it's kind of given like uh, the post, like because we're comparing him to Steven Spielberg, right? Like a movie that's like it's just a, it's all business, baby. There's nothing, there's nothing quote unquote exciting happening in this movie, if... but it's like trying to like make a political thing, and it, it gets nominated for everything but wins nothing. I would say this was his Schindler's List. Oh, okay, if he was Spielberg. Okay. I would say like it's still young Spielberg, but okay, this is his message. Oh, okay, cool. Um, and right. he, you know, he has made some movies before this, but all of all, honestly, uh, really, if you look at Capra's career, he always really did have something to say. Yeah, he never really made it a movie that didn't have anything. Right. Yeah. It He's was not making. He, there is no Capra's version of Jaws. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. There's exactly. no Jurassic Park for Capra. Yeah. And, Capra's and hey, Park. feel free to tweet me if you disagree. I would be <laughs> yeah. very interested to hear. You know. Welcome. To Capitol Park. I mean, <laughs> we, it's just a bunch of old setters. I think around. it's it, it's such like a weird um, lens to look through about how this film was received in different countries throughout the, this this time period. Because like, you know, we talked about how like there was blowback by like the politicians and stuff of America, but the the citizens of America loved it. Right. It's clear with the pocketbook, you know, they bought tickets. They love this, right. you know, and this film was banned 
in Hitler's Germany, Mussolini's Italy, Franco's Spain, um, because they didn't want, you know, people getting ideas or kind of whatever. And so much so that in in the Ger um, German occupation of France in 1942, theaters were showing Mr. Smith Goes to Washington as the last movie that they were allowed to, to show before that movie ban went into effect. Yeah. Some of them, you know, showing it for like a month straight at a time. Oh. And then this was also released in the Soviet Union in 1950. So look, think about those dates. Came out in 1939, was still playing in Europe as like a fuck you to the Nazis in 1942. And then the Soviet Union released it. It was under a different name, but it was the same movie. It was called The Senator. But it was released in the Soviet Union in 1950. So like it had been over a decade, and this still this film was still making waves yeah. in all of these like really political hotspots all around the world. So that's it's just kind of crazy to see like one group of people say fuck this, this isn't good, and the other say oh this is great. And like I'm curious to see like how was the reception in the Soviet Union? Were they like? Look at how fucked up America is. This is why we're better. Or were they like, you know, what? Yeah, I, I, I can know. almost I guarantee really... that was a sentiment. It was like, this is why their version of the government does not work. Right. Here's, here's the proof. They made it themselves. We didn't even have to make this yeah. movie. Yeah. <laughs> they, they bashed themselves. <laughs> and it's interesting, too. Meanwhile, the studio just collected all yeah. those ticket yep. money. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's interesting, too, because uh, if you remember, Frank Capra was one of the five directors that went to World War II. To capture right, yeah. all that footage, you know. We Captured with Capra. Capture with Capra, baby. He was a fucking badass. I, I might do this episode pretty soon cool. here about Frank Capra. It's going to be a Capra summer, it's dude. It's going to be a Capra summer, baby. I promise <laughs> it won't be as... Well, actually, it might be as depressing. I think, he, uh, I think it got kind of depressing there for him at the end, but... Uh, Boy. Well, that was that was the episode. <laughs> Happy 4th of July, everyone. 4th. Happy okay. 4th. You can also find me on uh, Instagram at Drake Cummings, on Twitter at Drake underscore Cummings, on TikTok at Hollywood Drake, and uh, other places of the internet if you look hard enough. <laughs> Ooh, I want to know those yeah. dark corners. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you can find me at, on Twitter at Abracadabra Dev and on Instagram at Sailor underscore Dev. Yeah. You can find me at Jimmy Deloy or James Wyatt Scott, depending on where you're looking. You can find us at Film History, The History of Film, or FHHF Podcast, uh, all over the place. And uh, you can also find me as a U.S. Senator, and I'm so excited to go to Constitution Hall tonight to see this new Frank Capra movie. It's all about us. And that's been Film History, The, the History of Film. You know what I'm talking about?